we're not spending as an organization very much time anymore putting out fires. We coined the phrase, we're arsonists by day and firefighters by night and weekends. And we're not in that mode anymore, which means we have the capacity to go deal with the thing we care about, which is innovating, making the city better. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to our recurring series, A Day in the Life. In this series, we explore the life of a CIO in a specific vertical or sector. What are their challenges? What are the rewards? What have been some of the most significant accomplishments that they've had? What are some of the changes that they see coming at them in future years? Today, we are joined by David Edinger. David is the CIO for the city and county of Denver, Colorado. Being the CIO in the public sector is challenging in its own right. Being the CIO of a municipality brings some additional challenges. In digital transformation, we talk about the customer experience being the center of everything we do. How do you approach that when your customers are also your friends and neighbors? We'll dig into this and more. Welcome to Status Go, David. Hey, great to be here, Jeff. Um, looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to our conversation as well, David. Before we get into the day in the life, and I, I know that sounds a little bit like this is your life, David Edinger, uh, like the game show from the 60s. I, I'd like you to take us on your journey. What led you to the CIO role for the city and county of Denver? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a, um, a different path than than many, perhaps. You know, I'm really interested in uh, innovation more than I am in technology. I'm interested in performance more than I'm interested in technology. So technology is one of those ways in which we get there. But to me, it's about the result. It's about the performance improvement. The journey really has been, you know, a lot of private sector consulting experience, then private equity. But the sort of the gist of it was I got involved in running warehouses and trying to sell um, as many used books as I possibly could. Uh, through Amazon and eBay and Abe and Libris and all these other sites using some technology that allowed us to list those books in different places uh, simultaneously on behalf of libraries and then sell them at the competitive price. And what was interesting about that journey, which took the 10 years before I started at the city, was we would have to continually get more and more efficient and productive at what we did um, but we could not keep up with the race, which was perfect competition. So everybody in that marketplace had access to real-time data about exactly what a media product, usually a book, cost. They could change that according to any algorithm as quickly as they wanted to. And we essentially, all, all of the competition in that space drove the price towards zero very fast. And it was a sort of dog-eat-dog, cutthroat world. Um, that ultimately pushed our boundaries in terms of innovation, but was not a place where we could create a lot of long-term value or meaningful value. It didn't have that sort of public sector fulfillment component mm -hmm. that I think draws so many of us to this space, the, the government sector, 
where we can employ all of those talents, but with a, with a result that we actually care about. So you made the jump from logistics and warehousing to CIO of a major metropolitan area. That's a, that's an incredible journey uh, to make that leap. So let's talk a day in the life. What makes being a CIO for a municipal government unique? Well, the, the action when it comes to what an IT organization gets to do in the municipal sector, the action is is fantastic. It's not like we're, and I'm not picking on them, we're not Hertz Rent-A-Car. We don't have this one single line of business and we have to just be very good at that one thing. We have 50 plus different types of business areas, everything from the traditional government solid waste collection and department of motor vehicle stuff that we're all familiar with, you know, did my trash get picked up? When do I have to renew the plates on my car to some really big intractable problems around social services, you know, making sure kids welfare is okay, that people have food, that, um, we're, we're responding to emergencies, whether, you know, 911 emergencies. I mean, the list goes on and on and on some of those are more difficult than others. And then you get into the intractable areas around issues like housing and homelessness and things that are governed by supply and demand laws that are set, you know, nationally or internationally, and that take years to really accommodate, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot, a lot of what we need to do doesn't necessarily, we're not in control of everything we need to do. So technology just plays this incredible role in, how we get that done. And to me, similar to the private sector experience I was just telling you about, it's a race because you're trying to get better, always get better at the basics, the things like solid waste, trash collection, composting, et cetera, so you can create more capacity to deal with the new problems that are coming your way. And those new problems, if we were to look at it from a purely technology perspective, those might be the increasingly dangerous threat landscape of cybersecurity and just protecting the city and all the different information systems we have to keep running to deal with a disaster like a pandemic or a tornado or whatever, Um, but also just creating uh, efficiencies and productivity gains so that we can do your basic government operations much more seamlessly. And I would just say, you know, it used to be if, you, you know, an example might be, it used to be if you wanted to put in a new water heater in your home, you had to come down stand in line for an hour, meet with somebody, fill out a form, show ID, do all this stuff. And now you can do that online in a matter of minutes. And you're just reducing those, that transactional friction and getting things down to just what you need to do, the minimally viable government interaction, for lack of a better phrase, (laughs) that you need to get the basic business done. And if that helps somebody not take an hour of PTO to do that, you know, pay time off to to go and, and deal with that government transaction, maybe that's an hour that they have back in their life to do something else that's more meaningful to them. I, I think that's a pretty interesting perspective. I mean, CIOs are used to changing hats throughout their day, right? Um, uh, I was CIO for Goodwill here in central Indiana for a number of years, and we had four different business units. And so, you know, you might be talking retail in one meeting, and then you go to education in another meeting. But to switch between 50 plus different hats, because yes, you're the CIO for the city of Denver, 
but you're really CIO for 50 plus different businesses, right? Each with their unique right. challenges. Um, which, which one do you find that you're spending the majority of your time thinking about and, and working on? Uh, not to the detriment of the others, uh, definitely, but there's got to be some that, that kind of float to the top. Yeah, I mean, I think that it falls into two buckets. Uh, one is protecting the city and county of Denver, meaning we're, and, and there's a lot that goes into that. I mean, of course, you're going to think about cybersecurity and all those efforts, but you're also thinking about how do we, how do we uh, architect the technology in the city to be as efficient as possible? How do we use world-class tools like Salesforce and Workday and Acela so that you can, you're getting the most bang for the minimal buck and creating that capacity to do more. So that's sort of one side of it is how do you protect and how do you become efficient um, in those spaces? And then in terms of where the effort goes, yeah, I mean, you're going to think about, we, we literally have this prioritized formally in the city, you've got to think about your basic public safety, life safety functions first and foremost. You have to be able to respond to people who are, um, you know, in need, in dire, like a life safety kind of situation. So things like 911, uh, making sure, you know, that the, the, the call center for 911 is operational, that the police cars and the, and the, um, the, the fire trucks and all the other public safety apparatus and equipment is, is functional from a technology perspective. That all has to be ready to go. Then you have, you know, your next tier of providing the basic relief services. And so, yeah, at the end of the, you know, I'm, I, you know, nothing against animals, but the, the animal shelter, the arts and venues, those types of folks are going to be further down the trail, yeah. but it doesn't mean we're not going to stand up those services when. Absolutely. Those. So that's kind of how we prioritize things across the city, but where the demand comes from on any given day could be, you know, based on mayoral priorities could be based on just, you know, yeah. what's happening. And if we're not in a wartime environment, quote unquote, wartime environment, then we're in a peacetime environment and those priorities are set. Um, yeah. 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 Well, that's got to make your day pretty exciting because you're, you're coming in to start your day and you, you really don't know where it's going to come from. Right. So you got to be ready to react. Just a, a question about the, the organization and how you're, your IT uh, there is is organized. Do the various agencies have a CIO that re- then kind of reports in to you, or how how does that structurally work? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we technology services, which is the name of the IT department of the city and county of Denver, was officially formed back around two thousand five. Up to that point, we had a federated IT structure throughout the city, that there were IT personnel in each of these departments for the most part. And the centralized version of IT was just doing your basic backbone kind of stuff that just everybody would have agreed that has to be happening in a centralized way. In 2005, Technology Services was formed. We're about 350 um, you know, full-time employees plus a couple hundred contractors at any given point. Um, whom we treat like employees and who we um, essentially are then supporting to the vast majority of the city 
all sorts of IT services, everything from your basic infrastructure and operations, your applications. We have probably over 400 enterprise systems. I mentioned before the sprawl there, something like 53 different case management systems. That's too many for an organization our size. But that's what you get when everybody thinks they're their own special snowflake and they need their own piece of um, technology that's suited just for them. So this mo- these modernization efforts, this understanding that as soon as you introduce a new technology, it's just on a path to becoming a liability. It's not like a car that you just can stop using at some point when it becomes right. unuseful. It's actually going to start causing you harm. It's not You're not going to be able to patch it. You're not going to be able to update it. It's going to become a security flaw for your organization. It's going to actually shut down and stop working. And it might be, I'm just making this up, might be the homicide database, right? That the police, you know, you can't yeah, let yeah. that stuff get deprecated. And so getting people to understand that assets, when it comes to technology, assets become liabilities and they do active harm to you. Uh, if you're not paying attention, if you're not out in front of it, is a key component to, to what, how we have to approach what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I know the CIOs that are out there in our listening audience, uh, they have to balance the interest of various stakeholders. I, I think in a role like the, the public sector in government services like you are, it's a little bit different. And I, and I alluded to this in the introduction. So how do you balance the citizen's view of your priorities with that of the government's view, I, I got to believe that they don't align very often. Yeah, um, I, that's a great question, Jeff. It, it, it's probably when it comes to technology, I don't know that many citizens see much of it. It's like the iceberg that hit the Titanic kind of thing. They only see the stuff on the top end. What they see is how it relates to them. So they th- see technology as it supports 911 and what our call answer times are there. They see yeah. the technology as it supports 311 and how you call for a non-emergency request like missed garbage pickup or something like that. They don't necessarily have an understanding of the full technology stacks that are supporting the city and that kind of thing unless there's a problem. You know, we're sort of the offensive linemen of the city. If we let the quarterback get sacked, then everybody's going to wonder about what, what went wrong with technology. But for yeah. the most part, reliability... Um, security, those kinds of things. When you're doing them well, you know you're having a good day because nobody's paying any attention to you. So when it comes to balancing this, so it's dangerous from a a budgeting perspective generally, um, I think to have, it's good to have those discussions, but you got to temper them with something. That's kind of like the streets of Denver. You know, everybody has a different view as to what those streets are for based upon what vehicle they ride. If you're a car owner, then you can't understand why all these people have scooters and bikes and <laughs> share the road and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's kind of this way, you know, if you only rely on, I don't know, one form of government technology, let's call it calling into three on one. When, when you have a question, you don't understand why we have to spend all this money on nine one one or putting, you know, the, the latest and greatest technology in the fire vehicles or, you know, yeah. any, anything else that supports the city. So your own individual citizen perspective informs what you think is important. And we're trying to balance that across the whole uh, spectrum. And that's, I think when you get into government you, and, and terms like equity and public access, you oftentimes probably more than the private sector 
are stretching out the useful lives of certain technologies. I bet you we'll be the last, last entity, the last sector to get rid of the fax machine because somebody out there wants to fax us a permit and we just can't figure out how to say, no, we're not going to do it that way anymore. You know, in the yeah. private sector, the you know, United Airlines or whoever just says, you're not doing, you're not getting your ticket by walking up to a counter anymore. You're going to have to go, uh, you know, to use the app. That's yeah. the only way to yeah. get on board our plane. But um, in government, you're trying to make sure that all parties, all, you know, all possible parties have a way. And that can be really expensive to, mm-hmm. to try to meet the needs of all those different stakeholders um, when it comes to technology. Yeah. Well, a, a few minutes ago, you used the analogy of uh, the, the line in football and protecting the quarterback. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say that I'm sitting here in Indianapolis and you can thank me later for Peyton Manning coming and getting you that Super Bowl. Yeah, that worked out great. We're going to repeat <laughs> it. So we'll see. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it is a, it's, it's a complex environment. And when you're, when your friends and neighbors are also your constituents, do, do they ever hit you up about, Hey, I was at the BMV and the computers were down or anything like that. Does that come up for you at all? Yeah, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, well, I think less so technology, more so um, changes to government policy. So, for example, we're moving to a volume-based pricing approach to trash collection. So, And there's a lot of technology built into that. So people are asking, am I really going to have to pay for my garbage can now? And the answer is yes, you'll pay based upon the size you choose. And then you'll get composting and recycling thrown in for free with no extra charge, whereas now you pay extra for composting, which is kind of backwards, right? Why would yeah. you Why would you have people pay for the thing you want them to do more of? You want them to pay, you know, from a pure economics perspective, the thing you want them to do less of, the, the trash side of the equation and reduce your landfill. So they'll ask me questions about the policy, but behind the scenes, we've had to develop a whole billing system and a trash collection system that can support that, that change to drive a policy, um, a behavioral change that we want to see. In this case, we want less going to the landfill and more going to recycling and the composting sites. That's the kind of question um, yeah. we might get. Now, I will get a lot. And then the other one is, you know, I'll get questions all the time about traffic and why is the traffic the way it is and why aren't we timing the lights the right way? And I get lots of questions about the things people experience like the DMV. And so one of the things I love to talk about is how we, through technology, brought down the wait times at the DMV. You know, those wait times for years were an hour and 10 minutes or more. And it was driving people crazy. Um, there were times at the end of the month when those might get to two or three hours. And all it, all it was, a, these are simple innovations, right? Like, why are these people in this line? Well, it's because they waited until the last minute. And now they got to get their tags for their vehicle or they can't drive. What if we reminded them earlier and what if we gave them a way to do it through online, through mail that was essentially free? So things like creating a, um, you know, an envelope that was uh, pre-addressed and pre-stamped to return your check-in. You know, all of a sudden you're driving hundreds of thousands of people who were standing in the line to do stuff in some other Let's call it digital way, but it might be yeah. less digital. It might be mailing the thing in any way other than standing in line. 
And if, if you did nothing else in municipal government and all you focused on was getting people out of line, you could have a very long career. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That that is the default way we do everything. Get everybody to stand in line and however long it takes, because we're the only game in town. There's only one place you can go for those license decals. Right. Well, and that 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 tends to make you a hero with the with the constituents. Right. If I don't have to go stand in line anymore, that that that's huge. Yeah. And I'll just add, like in that case, what I was just talking about brought that average wait time down to less than 10 minutes. And wow. so the last time I went to a DMV and I went and I interviewed people, hey, are you, you're, you're I noticed you're standing in line. Um, can I ask why you didn't do your transaction online? And they said, well, it's just the line's so short uh, or I like to just do my business in person or, you know, uh, like it was and they weren't frustrated at all. They were happy to be there because yeah. it, it turns out, you know, you wouldn't wait 10 or 15 minutes for a Starbucks coffee. But similar to going to the doctor's office or something like that, you'll wait 10 or 15 minutes for a government transaction and be perfectly yeah. happy with it. Yeah. That's your expectation. You don't yeah. have anything. When, when have you ever heard, oh, the line's so short. I just come here to do that. That's that's pretty funny. Yeah. So you, you, you've got all these different entities and agencies that, that you are uh, supporting the technology for, providing the technology for. The data needs have to be mind-blowing as you think about all of that so how do you how do you measure performance it it, it isn't really a PL type of thing so how do you measure performance? yeah i mean across well I'll, I'll answer that question in a couple one is how do you measure performance across all city functions and then how do you measure it within technology yeah yeah, um, yeah. And i think you know when it comes to all city functions you a lot of times the what you see in the private sector is flipped on its head in the public sector. So in the private sector, I'm just going to compare hospitality hotels to the jail. Same kind of function. You're bringing people in to stay with you for a little while, right? Yeah, yeah. But in, in the private sector, you want them to come in, spend as much money as they can, stay as long as you can get them to stay there. Um, you know, the whole idea is to fill it up, fill up your hotel and to generate a lot of activity. And in the jail, you want pretty much the exact opposite. You want to bring as few people as possible into jail. You want to process them through as quickly as you can, as efficiently you can, as you can. And you've got the extra added problem of the, the product, in this case, the, the people you're moving through your jail don't want to be identified. They're actively going out of their way to yeah. fool you about who they are. And so you've got those kinds of, of issues as opposed to a, a hotel customer who wants you to know that they're coming yeah. in and have yeah. a reservation yeah. on you 25 for three days. So um, those are, you can think of those situations all the time, just flipping them on the head from the private sector and then trying to measure, trying to move away from activity like arrests to outcomes like reduced crime. So it's very easy for government organizations to measure their, their activity, how much they spend on homeless services, how much they, how many arrests they make, how many people are in the jail. What you really want to help get, get to is, how many people got out of jail and didn't recidivate and come back into jail? Yeah. Right. So yeah, those exactly. you have to get people out of measuring widgets and into measuring outcomes. And an outcome is something that a citizen might care about when yeah. it comes to technology. Uh, some things are easier to measure than others. And the probably the, the best thing we've been able to measure over the last few years has been major incidents. When I started as, as the CIO four years ago, we had about three major incidents per day. Um, wow. Average. 
So we were running around as an organization, putting out fires. And of course, there was no very little capacity left to do anything that innovative, that to do anything that would actually improve the operation, um, the city performance, which is our which is our mission statement to improve city performance. So if you're running around dealing with that on, a, you know, on a regular basis, three a day, it means every night you go home. And as soon as you get home, the major incident line is up and running. And we're trying to figure out after hours what's broken and why it's broken. And it, none of it had to do, very little of it had to do with technology. It all had to do with people and yeah. process. So change management, not organizational change management, but IT change management, like yeah. what things are we changing in our systems today? And have we talked through what impacts those changes are going to have on our systems? Are we going to do this thing over here and it's going to break this other thing over somewhere else? Problem management and incident management, getting really good at when there were incidents dealing with them. And if they were repeated incidents, they become a problem. It's something we actually have to go figure out the root cause of. It's not just Excel energy, cut the, cut the fiber and we got to yeah. wait until they repair it. It's something else. So by doing that, we got that, those major incidents from on average three a day down to about 0.5 per day. So every other day we have a major incident. And most of the time it's the kind I just described. It's just the power company cut the line yeah. And we're just going to have to wait until they fix it. Now, there are ways we could probably address that. But the point being, we're not spending as an organization very much time anymore putting out fires. We coined yeah. the words, we're arsonists by day and firefighters by night and weekends. And we're not in that mode anymore, which means we have the capacity to go deal with the act, thing we care about, which is innovating, making the city better. Yeah. Yeah. The problem we now face is, there's so much demand. Everybody, post-pandemic, everybody wants to improve their operations. Back to that earlier question, how do you prioritize that stuff? Right. And, you know, I just had an example the other day of a department that had on their list of 10 things, all of a sudden their number seven thing became their number one thing. And we have to have that difficult conversation about, well, what of your top three things that we're working on do you want us to put on the sideline so we can go take your seventh rated thing and go tackle that? Because- yeah. We only have so many people to do this stuff. But if we hadn't cleaned up the major incident problem, we wouldn't have any capacity to do any of that. Yeah, stuff. Yeah. And that's, that's I think, how you measure productivity, which is how much time can you spend doing the thing that matters yeah. and how little time can you spend doing the stuff that just keeps the lights on. And you see this all over the government. I mean, the police mm -hmm. officers are a good example you want them to have as much time as possible for them to do actual policing work and as little time spent on administrative stuff yeah. as they can possibly do. Yeah. I, I love that as an approach to, to measure because it's really, it's really outcome-based. Um, and in, in talking to you, I, I, there are sometimes I wish our listeners could see the video because um, as, as you're talking about these things, David, I can tell that you just love this. You, you love this work. So what is it about this work that gets you out of bed in the morning? What's your why? Yeah, you know, I think part of it you hit on earlier, Jeff, which is that you're part of the community in which you're directly having an impact. It's fun to make the lines that you stand in yourself as a citizen. It's fun to have a part in making those lines get shorter and seeing it, right? Yeah. As something as simple as that. It's fun to be in the mix when it comes to these sort of intractable policy situations around, um, 
you know, people experiencing homelessness and the impact on the business community. And, uh, you know, it's, they're not easy problems to solve. That's why the public sector has to deal with them. There's no private sector solution in many cases for this stuff. That's fun. But I think, um, you know, at the core of it is you can't, and this is, I I said this earlier, you can't find many IT organizations that have the luxury, I don't know if it's a luxury or the, the opportunity to do so many different things. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I learned something. I've been here for 14 years. I was, you know, doing operations before I was in technology at the city. And you learn something new every day. You learn that you have a medical examiner and that those folks are still putting paper you know, they do all the autopsies and they're still putting paper toe tags on the bodies and some of this is a little morbid, right? But, uh-huh. but, but wow, what could we do to help them? Yeah, yeah. It turned out in that situation, you know, th- there's a real um, drive to get the families the reason for death as quickly as possible, that there's mm-hmm. sort of grief and other yeah. mental health issues tied up with the longer people have to wait to learn what happened the harder it is on them. You can't proceed with the arrangements and all that kind of thing. And there's technology out there that can help with that and can scan a body and can figure out what happened. And then they can, so, so, you know, we can help these organizations that I didn't even know existed in some cases as part of the city. They're buried deep within the organizational structures, get better at what they do and provide a real service and something of value to people and every day we learn about something along those lines that we yeah. can do. And that, that I think is that's what's cool. exciting about that, it. That, that's cool. I love that you're every, every day you're learning something or uncovering something. All right. I want you to take out your crystal ball uh, and I want you to look into the future. What's next for municipal IT, for municipal technology? What's kind of you're seeing down the road? Yeah, um, I would start with our we just hired our first chief digital officer. Um, and I used to think, and, and that person oversees a division that were, that has existed that was more in the marketing realm. Um, but is now more, is going to transform more into the digital realm. Um, because we need to find a different and more comprehensive way to connect to citizens. So it can't be each department in the city is its own silo and everybody has to interact with each department and know how government works in order to get the things done they need done and to have, you know, and to improve their quality of life. That's just, we can't continue to do it that way. And so I used to think that for the most part, citizens wanted, they didn't want a deep, meaningful relationship with their government. They just wanted to get their business done as quickly as possible. And to some extent, that's true. That's sort of the baseline. You got to have that. You can't make people wait, as we talked about, for an hour and 10 minutes. It's just unreasonable. But once you get past that, which by and large we have in most areas, you can get your um, permits, you can get your driver's tags, you can do all that stuff online. Once you get those basic interactions under your belt, then what you want to do is start piecing it together into more of an experience. So that when I call 311 or I, you know, go online to 311 and I say the trash was missed today, the, the old way of doing it would have been, okay, customer service. Hey, we're going to get your trash picked up. It's going to come tomorrow. Good customer service experience. We're done. The future way of doing it should be, hey, 
I noticed that you've called the last three weeks about this. Um, and that two of the other times you called, you know, it was, you know, it, it, you didn't have enough room for your recycling. Would you like another bin? Would you like a bigger bin? Would you like, you know, what could we do to make your experience better here so that yeah. we don't have this problem repeating or, you know, a, cla- a another good example was you got another ticket for parking on the street when there was, you know, street sweeping. Could I sign you up for the street sweeping notifications so that you'll know to move your car? Yeah. Cause you always seem to park on this block and we can set up those notifications block by block throughout the city, or we can get you a tag, a special tag for your vehicle because you live there. So you won't get that ticket, you know? And, and I think why that's important is clearly people are losing trust in their government. Now they're losing less trust in municipal government than they are in their state and clearly their federal government, but yeah. over time they're losing trust in their government and the way to build that back um, and to build that sense of community is providing one way to do it is providing excellent customer experience. Yeah. And we can do that in a scalable way through digital and technology that we can't do, you know, just with brute force. Yeah. I love that. It's, it's, uh, solving the current problem, but also solving the next problem as you're, as you're doing that. I, I, I love that. Uh, well, as you know, as we've talked, uh, status go, we're, we're all about action. We want to leave our listeners with uh, a solid call to action. So what are one or two things our listeners should go do tomorrow because they listened to our conversation today? Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought up um, how excited I Every time I have these kind of conversations, I do get excited. And that's the reason I stay here. And I would say, you know, if you're looking for, for fun, uh, and you're looking for a meaningful career, you know, explore government, particularly municipal government options. We are moving. We have the whole, uh, the, the great resignation has been talked about and it's really the great reshuffling and people are moving all over the place. There are so many opportunities for people, um, to get involved through employment with their, uh, with their governments. And then I think the other part of it, I would say is from what we've learned from the pandemic, there are ways to get involved with your communities and through and government in far more frictionless ways or ways that are have less friction. So it used to be if you wanted to get involved in a city council meeting, that was going to occur on Monday nights and you had to come downtown and you had to sit through, you know, and now those are moving to, you know, a lot of that stuff's moving to different hours of the day or it's recorded or you can, um, just connect in digitally. You can participate in the meetings remotely. You know, it's, it's gone. It's, it's, it's been fascinating to watch that during the pandemic where we might have the same old 10 usual suspects at a, at a city council meeting um, before the pandemic. Now we have hundreds of people participating, you know, and they're participating virtually and there are yeah. people who've never done that before. And they're participating where it makes sense for them on a topic they care about. But there are lots of ways to get involved in government and shape things that don't require the effort that they used to require. And yeah. I would want people to know about that and explore that. that that's excellent, David. I, I appreciate both of those calls to action, uh, get, ways to get involved, both joining as an employee or just being involved as a citizen. It's, it's easier these days. I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us today on Status Go, David. I have really appreciated it. I've enjoyed our conversations, both as we prepared for the podcast today and this podcast conversation. So thank you very much. Sure thing. You're welcome, Jeff. I appreciate it. It was fun.
To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tun for David Edinger. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.